Welcome everyone to the Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Petty thieves, keep it petty. The Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 208. If it ain't rough, it ain't right. Is brought to you by May May's Food Truck. Our popsicles are so good you'll be wearing Sugar's wife's clothes in no time. Wow. Well, Pete, what a last couple of days it's been. We have on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we got your Cloak and Dagger. We got your Ant-Man. We got some Luke Cage before those. We got Luke Cage now coming out Sunday night. It's, uh, I don't know, it's all MCU all the time, except for when we're talking Star Trek or other secret projects. Plenty to do. Glad to bring it all to you. Shades is reflecting on killing Comanche, all in pre-dawn lighting. At our favorite NYPD precinct, Tilda and Mariah are all right, with the daughter ready to talk and the mother reminding her that we don't say, er, stuff. Tilda wants to run, and Mariah recaps that Bushmaster is likely in Harlem's paradise, so where to go? Luke pops his head in, then goes down the hall. No one is around to brief them or give them answers. Mariah follows him, reminding him and us that she wants to hire him. Specifically, she wants Tilda to be kept safe. Misty arrives, angry at Mariah, angry at Luke, updating him about Rittenhauer being dead, all while the camera is oddly skewed. The credits show the episode is written by Nathan Lewis Jackson and directed by Nima Barnett. At Comanche's mother's house, his mother reflects with shades about the late Darius, who protected a young Hernan. She wants to know the truth about his death, but her answer is interrupted by Shades getting a call from Sugar. She doesn't get much of an answer, though she does get a wad of cash. Shades tells her, sympathetic yet sneering, that she needs the money. Back at the pre-Saint, Tilda is interested in testing Luke's skin for real. She's never seen anything like it, well, except for Bushmaster. At the end of the room, Luke notes the crime scene photos showing the dead Rittenauer and Comanche. Elsewhere, Misty looks through Rittenauer's office, seeing her badge and gun. A sympathetic Nandi, that's right, with sympathy, says she bet it would be three days until Misty came back. Heck, she never turned in her paperwork and is currently the ranking detective. Right, boss? And who was the other dead body? Luke IDs him as Comanche, and there's an info share scene back in the main office, figuring Comanche was the snitch. NYPD Brass isn't around. They think there's more trouble coming. Misty asks Luke to talk to Tilda. Get Mariah linked into all of this. Tilda ends up in the break room and Luke slides on in, all chatty. Intercut is Mariah talking to Misty in interrogation room two, talking about the two men in masks, though Tilda mentioned three, and a tale of revenge and Bushmaster rum and spelling him special herbs. Mariah wants to talk to the boss, get Thomas Rittenauer in here, but she's shown he's dead, meeting with a rat, a rat who is friends with Shades. Then her lawyer arrives, ready to save the day. But since Shades is there, too, he's told he's a suspect in Rittenauer's death. Mariah and Luke verbally duke it out. Meanwhile, at Harlan's Paradise, new pictures are going up. Bye, Basquiat. Uncle worries the darkness is consuming Bushmaster. At least he's got Mariah and her daughter. A goon comes in and reports that Mariah and her daughter are alive, saved by Luke Cage. Bushmaster snaps a chair in a rage. Later, Uncle says Bushmaster Boosts is likely a steroid and his body can't continue to take it. 
The stylers are called in, and Bushmaster says he wants to squeeze something Luke Cage loves. Make it so, stylers. Back at the precinct, Misty talks through Comanche's death, albeit in her mind's eye of being quote-unquote at the crime scene. Ben Donovan gives a few jabs, then reasserts they've got nothing on shades. Donovan steps out with a phone call. He returns, saying he no longer represents Mr. Alvarez. Uh-oh. Misty suggests Mariah has pulled him, but out in the hall, it turns out Donovan likes money, and Mariah's got none. Bye, Felicia. They leave, but the stylers show up shooting. Luke saves Mariah and company and learns there's a million-dollar bounty each on Mariah and Tilda. Back inside, Shades monologues about his love for Comanche, but Misty wants more. They verbally fence until Nandi gets Misty, leaving Shades to stare at pictures of the dead Comanche. Nandi updates about the shooting outside, and Bailey updates that there's really no proof Shades pulled the trigger. At Rev Dad's resplendent church, Luke wants to protect Dad, but Dad's got the Holy Father to protect him, son. Back to Mariah, she makes her way back to her burned-out brownstone, which seems like a terrible idea, mournful at the sight of it all. Sugar steps out, and Shade steps right in. They're at each other's throats, fearful in the ruins they're in. Shades rages. This isn't a we problem. This is all Mariah's doing. He screams at her, ending up with a plan for revenge against Bushmaster. I guess there still is a we after all. At Harlem's Paradise, the NYPD arrives with officers in body armor, but Bushmaster is waiting for them, ready to receive their search warrant with lawyer Ben Donovan and a denial about the bounty on Mariah and Tilda Dillard. Stokes, whatever. Search the club, and Bushmaster has the power and doesn't need a gun, badge, or plastic arm. Everyone leaves, and Bushmaster looks spent. Later, he and Uncle talk about the former's needs to juice up again. Uncle loves Johnny, but love has limits. Uncle walks, and Shade seeds him leave. As Bushmaster prepares his herbal mix, Intercut is Rev Dad talking about salvation. It's never too late. Jamaicans then arrive, shooting, and Luke saves the day. Well, mostly. Rev Dad gets in some good licks, too. At Tilda's shop, mother and daughter are there. Tilda's ready to jump ship and ready to leave Mommy behind. Mariah reflects on Tilda's birth, a 22-hour labor, then Mama Mabel took the baby away. They reflect on their estranged past, and Tilda wants to show her mother something. Later, she reveals Nightshade plus other elements is what powers Bushmaster. She might be able to counteract it, but the Stylers are there, too, with Nandi and Misty protecting the civilians. Luke arrives, too. Harlem's hero and the NYPD finally on the same page. If only there was somewhere safe to go. Hey, let's call Danny to end the episode. Pete, before we dive on into bad guys and theories and such in this episode, can we talk about Nandi's line? I have it written right here. Callahan is in Maui and O'Reilly moved to New Orleans. Pete, that's Cloak and Dagger. Yes, we had the reference in last week's in episode 205, or 105s, excuse me, um, Cloak and Dagger uh, twice by O'Reilly coming from Harlem, and uh, we had not podcast up to that point, so now we've got the reverse of somebody on Luke Cage mentioning O'Reilly, who is now in New Orleans for Cloak and Dagger, so uh it's hashtag all connected, Matt. Yeah, it was a really, really nice reference, even though we had it coming during our last Luke Cage, uh, pardon me, during our last Cloak and Dagger podcast, I had looked up, uh, I think I'd read something online, looked up more, and that's when I found out, oh no, 
uh, uh, written hours going to die or has died or however oh. you got it time wise. But now the timeline is all set. Now, now O'Reilly is still in New Orleans. Pete, hopefully she's not getting into trouble. We'll save that for the for the uh, Cloak and Dagger podcast. Are you ready to dive into this episode? Absolutely. Pete, now we're going to talk some bad. Mm. Shut your mouth. We're talking about bad guys, Petey. Let's start with Shades. Yes, I love the way they begin this episode with him dispensing of evidence in the fire there. Um, that we've got the recap, which is also moving the story forward of him taking out Comanche, of him, uh, you know, explaining away the Rittenauer uh, murder only to wind up in this episode that's primarily centered around the police precinct being in interrogation at one point and uh, even visiting Comanche's, no, Darius's mom. In many ways, he was he, he was the center of the episode. Uh, fantastic performance out of Theo Rossi all the way through, particularly in that scene of the burned out, uh, the burned out brownstone there. I have no doubt that Theo Rossi is a completely professional actor. There were brief moments where I was cons- concerned that Theo Rossi was going to hit Alfre Woodard so enraptured and so kind of entranced in the performance as he was. Uh, again, I, I have no doubt that in reality, Theorossi is, is far too professional for something like that. But he was just so in the moment. And she, of course, her performance was wonderful as well. But he was so in the moment there and so enraged. And I think the show knew that too. You kind of have a medium shot on him uh, and a super, super long take. I think that's just because it was his best take and it was phenomenal in in that scene. And indeed his performance wonderful throughout. Yeah. uh, The idea here being a gangster, what do gangsters do? They adapt, they boogie Max. Uh, Indeed they must. And you certainly sense him needing to do that in this episode going from feeling like he's made the right decision in taking out Comanche to getting the support from lawyer Ben Donvin, courtesy of Mariah, and all of that disappearing and him being unclear as to his place in the world and then still coming back to where his heart leads him, taking him back to Mariah there, and after all the yelling, still back to the notion of a we. Well, Matt, Mariah, uh, again, the great Alfre Woodard, who we thought at the end of the last episode might be on her way out. Never more central than in this episode. Never more central yet without any resources. And we see that when, mm-hmm. as, as mentioned, when Ben Donovan leaves, there really is this sense that she's gone from being this powerful figure to it's sugar and a couple other people hanging out with her, you know, shades of course, but just kind of a couple other goons there to protect her. Otherwise, her empire is completely gone. Uh, the question as to whether Tilda will be uh, leaving, I mean, that's that's floated, I think, ultimately, by the end of this episode. That's not where we are headed. But, I mean, Mariah truly at rock bottom here, wearing Sugar's wife's clothes. That's how that's how destitute she is. But still, there is this sense that, uh, that she's going to be able to bounce back in these remaining five episodes. 
minus the money without the resources really not seeing eye to eye with shades but never been more watchable well from mariah we go to bushmaster who we see some cracks in the armor here or at least by implication he's being warned by his uncle to not uh to not power up again the metaphor that it's like steroids and your body can only take so much before there's a breaking point or or damage done things of that sort uh but bushmaster pushing through nonetheless particularly at the end of the episode when he's using his own concoction to keep those powers going yeah and the implication there that he's going to do damage to himself on top of the fact that tilda is now attempting to counteract whatever uh elements chemicals concoctions he's been working on uh i really liked when he ripped the chair apart uh at harlem's paradise i mean a great practical effect there you know must have taken a ton of time to build a chair that a a mere mortal could pull apart like that um and it it, the camera doesn't linger on it but it's so out of the blue uh, but so in line with the character that his rage is is boiling up pete roid rage perhaps i don't know i don't know how 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 these uh, concoctions from the earth might work in terms of uh vexing you certainly but um yeah we, we have bushmaster still a major foe in this series rasta rage perhaps um little earlier we have the discussion of what all this wealth this largesse that they've stolen back from the stokes family is gonna go for and he talks about easing the suffering back in jamaica of uh children so it doesn't seem he's without a heart but as his uncle continually reminds him and the viewer it's misguided it's interesting to get that reveal this i don't quite say late in the season you know it's eight of 13 but at this point in the season certainly uh and it gives him some sympathy i think with we the audience his charisma has carried him and his ability to just be the anti-luke cage but here it turns out he's actually a mirror image in many ways of mariah you know it's the two the two descendants of the two that got harlem's paradise going uh and he wants to help his community as well his community just happens to be back in kingston jamaica and not harlem uh in manhattan and when we come to donovan in this episode matt to see just what a lack of conviction the guy has if nothing more than to money that he drops mariah and shades and suddenly he's defending bushmaster uh i i suppose i'm inclined to agree certainly if he's been in service of the family for these 25 years you'd hope that there's more loyalty than zero once the money runs mama mabel put him through law school matt yeah but you know lawyers gotta eat and if if she's got no money um i'm you got to go where the job takes you i suppose i mean uh, i I don't know i think that the the performance and the presentation of ben donovan is so so charismatic i have a difficult time disliking him perhaps if only because i know the show is going for the somewhat low-hanging fruit of let's all hate the lawyers uh and maybe i'm just trying to be a be a rebel against that but do i blame him completely that he's gone from 
a paying client to a client that literally has zero dollars and zero cents in the bank account, uh, I kind of see where he's coming from, I guess. Well, speaking of dollars in the bank account, Matt, we love bringing you the Fantastic Geek family of podcasts, but it ain't inexpensive. There's bandwidth. There's all sorts of other uh, ancillary costs that accrue, particularly when we're talking about a uh, amount, a backlog of podcasts that we now have available. Indeed. And you know what? Unlike Ben Donovan, we're not putting up that paywall. So that's why we are all the more appreciative of the gracious people who go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek and keep things going. It fills our hearts. It keeps us going each week and uh, we're not going anywhere. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content. And then there's all sorts of levels to donate at from there. So thank you again for checking it out. big picture where we break down theories about the road ahead pete i'm gonna hit you with one Mm -hmm. my crazy theory is between things i've seen on the social media and the way this episode ended i bet we see wait for it danny rand in the next episode no well pete uh, there's a pretty compelling case a they announced he'd be in it already so i guess that (laughs) spoils the reveal Uh, and b i mean joking aside Pete, I can't believe I'm saying this because we pointed out the faults of Iron Fist in our Iron Fist podcast, but and, and I'm also not bored at all with this season of Luke Cage, but I feel like there is this incredible uplift at the end of the episode. Let's get Danny on the phone. You go, oh my goodness, we're getting more defenders together again. And it's a fun, it's a fun springboard at the end. It is, if for the fact that it just kind of ends with them on the street and, Oh, let's call Danny Rand after we've shown that police precincts and churches are unsafe from the stylers. And could we at the very least like get Mariah and Tilda, like there's that portion in front of the brownstone. That's like three steps down towards the, mm-hmm. the, the, the patio area or the basement, a whatever it is. The stoop. Yes, like, can we get them to just stand there, maybe behind the Bulletproof guy? I mean, I get that we're going for the big episode, you know, the big end of the episode, and I get that we have, you know, all the actors there, all so many of the leads standing there. So, of course, we're not going to have, you know, Alfred Woodard, can you go stand in the shadows, you know? But, like, come on, let's just have her be protected a little bit. You can show her with close-ups. You can show Tilda with close-ups. Same thing with Rev Dad there, but... They know they're at the end of the episode, Pete. I guess that's okay. Well, Matt, I got one for you. At the beginning of the episode, unless we're meant to feel some kind of dreamlike quality, would Luke Cage or, uh, I don't know, any hero for hire or a private citizen ever be allowed to wander a police precinct empty the way that he did? Um, the good news is yes. And you might say, what? That doesn't sound like proper police procedure. Uh, I believe that we've seen <laughs> we've seen it in the Defenders miniseries where people just wandered hither and yon throughout the entire place. And apparently but that was like, wasn't empty. This place is entirely empty. And then the one cop he runs into is like, I'm not answering your question. <laughs> and then walks away. Um, I mean, look, I think they're they're playing a little loose with these uh 
Oh, which they say, you know, I mean, it's not quite willful suspension of disbelief, but they're not letting some of these story particulars get in the way of telling the story. The problem is it does chip away just a tiny bit at the reality, which is the foundation of the MCU. It's all the fantastic stuff that then gets put on top of that reality. Eh. I mean, Pete, I guess as a, as a slight sh- shoot off from your concern, uh, there's like a lengthy hall scene towards the beginning of the episode where Luke and Misty are talking and the camera has this weird tilt to it. Yes. I, I, I assume director uh, Nima Barnett had a really like artistic explanation. Maybe I'm just too blockheaded to understand what it was. Maybe it was that their world was askew with Rittenhauer gone and, and whatnot. But Pete, maybe the show is just getting a tad bored shooting in the police set nonstop and they're trying to come up with different ways to challenge themselves creatively. I really liked that angle. And then jumping from that a little later on, we have Tilda who's told by her mother that we don't say anything. Um, and she seems to be on board with her yet later. She talks to Luke Later, um, Mariah comes to Mother's Touch, and then they're together at the end of the episode. Is Tilda with her mother, or is she just with her mother? Pete, I think that though Tilda wants Mommy to be the Mommy, I think that Tilda, at the end of the day, there's this distance between them. And I think the show is doing a decent job of navigating that. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, we're being set up for a split between mother and daughter because I think Tilda ultimately is a good and decent person. Maybe she knows she's turning a blind eye towards some of the particulars going on, but increasingly it's turned a blind eye here and a blind eye there and a blind eye there and a blind eye there. And you realize that you're living with your eyes closed and it might be time to make that decision either i'm going to be eyes open and accept the fact that mommy is a bad mommy or eyes open and walk away is misty still a cop (laughs) by the very clear exposition that that was given to us by by nandi yes she is she didn't sign the paperwork she didn't submit the paperwork no riddenhauer didn't submit the paperwork you know, I read the scene slightly differently that that Misty had yet to act on. The bottom line is this. There's nothing official that says she's no longer a cop. Everybody in the precinct, apparently, was under the belief that, that Misty was going to, you know, go blow up, cool off, and come back. Uh, I like the vote of confidence from Nandi, having bet the closest that she'd be back in three days. So... Yeah, Misty's a cop and story requires it. I guess I would retroactively give the yellow card to episode 207, which committed so greatly to Misty being out when it appears she needs to be back in in this episode. Now, Pete, she's the senior detective in the precinct because, you know, the NYPD can't send anybody to be in charge like for the next couple days because reasons this is where if they had lost half the people because of Thanos, that would be a bit more believable. But again, you know, some, some slight hand of the writer stuff here overall. And you know what? That's okay. Not everything needs to be totally organic. At a certain point we can say, wow, Misty has a great reason to not leave. She's the boss. 
will she remain a cop? Um, See, that's tough, Pete, because I don't know. I, I felt like at the end of last episode, we had all this potential for her to go a Daughters of the Dragon route, whether that was with or without uh, Colleen returning to an episode this season, whether it was setting up something in, in uh, the, the next Iron Fist season or who knows what might happen in Daredevil, et cetera, et cetera. Now I feel like, I mean, five episodes from now, we could end up with uh, Captain Lieutenant Detective or whatever. Uh, Misty Knight in charge um, or we could have her leaving once and for all if you're asking me to choose one I'm going to say they're probably better off having her remain in the NYPD that's probably more useful for story stuff moving forward Bushmaster's power waning he took those bullets to the chest now he's mixing up more of the herbs to uh, do whatever he does, but uh, there's this cost. Is there a limit to what he can do? I hope not only is there a limit, I I hope that they are setting up him going over the edge with it. And I hope it's not some go over the edge like, you know, his heart has exploded or something like that. I hope it's full on, you know, let's embrace it. Let's have him, you know... To turn into the abomination or something like that, some kind of like big makeup effect type thing where all of a sudden he's this big hulking beast. Sorry, I couldn't figure out a way to not say the word <laughs> Hulk there. But let, let's have him go over the edge and, and overdose on the nightshade or whatever it might be to a point where he becomes this beast and it's this big practical effect makeup moment. That would be a ton of fun. Are Mariah and Shades really on the rocks, or is this just dramatic tension, Matt? What I didn't like about the end of that scene in the the burned-out brownstone was we've had indications all episode that they're on the rocks. We have Shades in the middle of that scene screaming at her, so on fire, really hammering home, there is no we, there's you. And then by the end of it, there's we again and i like the emotional sentiment flip side is what's the net change to shades nothing so what has the last episode and a half been about if there is no net change i'm reading it as no net change thus far so i think that's points off for the story now it could be surprise shades actually still thinks there is just a you not an us <laughs> and that's the reveal next episode okay fine but i'm taking points off for the last two episodes because I feel like Shades has yet to act differently and he's been kicked to the curb, not just in 208, not just in 207. It's been all season where he's told, hey, you're actually the number two who thinks you're a co-pilot. And we have yet to see an effect from that. Word on the street where we hear from you, the listener, Pete. Do I hear that we have a VIP lined up for Word on the Street? We do. Mary Kirk writes in to the Fantastic Geek Facebook page in all caps. I'm actually watching this one as measured out by the podcast for once. Big smiley face. Well, that is a great honor indeed. You know, in a magic in a magic world, Pete, we would podcast all of these on the first day. Uh, but that's not that's yeah. not how things like <laughs> Matt family can't life watch them all in one sitting. Yeah, 
Um, yeah. Basic things like family and need to eat and go to the bathroom and bathe occasionally, prevent that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud we're chugging through these three a week plus, uh, plus Cloak and Dagger and honored to have Mary Kirk and other listeners listening along with us. Pete, as people start to watch, oh, let's say episode 209, how can they share their thoughts with you about the next episode? They can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,027 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Leave a comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more! The aforementioned Facebook page for Fantastic Geek. All one word with the P and the H and with you today. We will keep on talking Luke Cage. We'll keep on talking Cloak and Dagger. We'll keep a weather eye towards uh, Star Trek Discovery, particularly the closer we get to July 20th and its panel at uh, San Diego Comic-Con. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Rivals, we ain't got them.